Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Hello, I hope you're well. I hope you're enjoying a fantastic weekend and happy Father's Day to you as well. And I hope you enjoy it in suitably relaxed and relaxing fashion. What a week we've had. A week that happened, I think, against the odds. This is what's coming up in the next 90 minutes. And in a short while, I'll be talking to Roger Varian, who increased his Royal Ascot tally significantly with four winners through the week. An historic week for him, as it was for Alan King. A jumps trainer no more. He'd like to be known as a dual-purpose trainer. He surely is now a treble at Royal Ascot and in the unique position of giving Tom Markwind and his partner Holly Doyle their first Ascot winners in the same colours. And Holly's success followed hot on the heels of another Ascot win for Hayley Turner. 33-1 to 1 again, the same race, and for trainer Charlie Fellows. A repeat of last year, and Hayley recovered from a fall at Kempton last night. will be speaking to us from her base in Newmarket. Could this be the year when a, a smaller stable has a meaningful hopeful for the derby? It might just be, you know, that horse's pile driver trained by William Muir. Really one of the stories of the week, it seems like so long ago. No doubt about the leading owner of Royal Alaska Week, Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum. His racing manager, Angus Gold, will be joining us later in the programme to talk about Batash, Mutakail, Hukum, Malatham and more. And at the end of Royal Ascot Week, it's only fitting I should be joined by the top hat man of old London town, Daily Mirror's newsboy, David Yates, sporting um, what The Guardian described this week as an untamed beard, Dave. And yes, indeed. That's another apology I, I hope that they'll be uh, printing this week. Because <laughs> I, I can vouch for the fact that it is in no way untamed. Absolutely not. I've said... I think I've said on Racing TV before that the, uh, the Val 100 series is the Mercedes-Benz of beard trimmers. And I'm, I'm lucky to have one of those garaged in Forest Hill. A Val 100 series, not a Mercedes-Benz. We'll transition nicely to horsepower of a different kind and what we saw on the track at, at Royal Ascot this week. I said the meeting took place against the odds, certainly against the odds back in the spring. Yeah, I, I, I'll make a quick confession that when we go, if we wind the clock back to April when... The summer's sporting events were going left, right and centre, Wimbledon, the Open, etc. If my mates would ring me and say, Ascot's not still on, is it? And I'd say, I know, ridiculous, isn't it? it you know, Her Majesty probably wants it to take place and no-one's got the guts to say, Mum, this isn't going to work. And in fact, not only did it take place on its scheduled dates, but it, it was... It was an emphatic success. I was going to say roaring success, but without the crowds, that wouldn't be possible. But it was, it was an emphatic success. It worked very well. The 36 races, I thought, gives us something with maybe a, a vision of the future. Uh, a few of the old names were uh, dominant. Frankie Dottori, of course, the leading jockey with a, a, another masterclass yesterday.
that statue of him at Ascot is going to be dumped in Virginia water very soon by the bookmaking fraternity. <laughs> Let's talk to him now and say happy Father's Day. He'll be a busy, busy boy today, I should think. Uh, Frankie Dottori, how are you? Morning, everyone. I'm great. <laughs> you, you left Ascot last night. I, it was a wonderful image of you striding across the parade ring to hopefully go and celebrate a little bit. You're walking on, walking on air, and it was as though there was a full crowd there. I, you more than, more than made up for it, really. It was great to watch. Uh, it was uh, quite difficult to get used to it the first couple of days. But once we were up and running, it was business as usual, obviously. You know, you can't, you can't uh, stress enough how much we missed the crowd, but the races was amazing and uh, it all went well and all the people that watched it uh, really enjoyed it because, you know, as a professional, we did everything uh, to the letter and it was, uh, it was uh, very exciting and uh, I hope that came across to the public. So the, the celebrations, the, the the flying dismounts, the whooping, the hollering, and you got louder and louder yesterday. W did you feel a bit of a responsibility to entertain, or were you trying to get yourself up as much as anything else? Well, you know what? I was trying to uh, relieve the joys of Asuka. You know, okay, people's not there, but it still means a lot. It's a very important races, and and why not? You know, why why should I uh, contain myself and be reserved? Enjoy it. You know, that's, uh, that's what we do it for. It is a wonderful sport and I was thrilled. And, uh, and I, was, I was jumping off the horse into an empty grandstand. <laughs> that was a bit <laughs> weird, but, but nevertheless, <laughs> this is why Alaska. It, it, I mean, I, I watched the first three days on, on TV and then going Friday and Saturday, I, I, even having watched it on television, I couldn't quite get over how bizarre and eerie it really was. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Once those stores open, to me as a rider and I guess my colleagues, it was business as usual. Um, I think it's bred within us the the will to win that we all try. And uh, and what added to a little bit is we, we, we the, the the commentator was still in at uh, at full volume, so that added up to the atmosphere a little bit. Obviously, we didn't have the big reception afterwards, but as far as, far as the riding was concerned, was uh, was the same, you know, was, was still well Ascot. Did you go into yesterday thinking you had any shot of of getting the, the champion jockey's crown again? Well, I thought I had some good chances, but one, 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 once, once uh, Caparelle won, I thought it is possible. Because yeah. I'll... Um, Alpine Star, uh, if you look at her form, she she has raced with love and Santiago of form was red hot. And Jessica's horses in Ireland this year, uh, she's been winning everything. So I was, you know, there was a lot of talk about some of the others, but quietly I was quite confident she'd be in the shake-up. Uh, the one that I wasn't sure that made all the difference, obviously, was Palace Pia. Yeah. And then, obviously, I, I had a favourite chance in the Golden Jubilee that perhaps I probably kicked a bit too soon. And so I had lively chances. But, is, you know, you, you, you can go into Asco with lively chances, come out with nothing. And as far as yesterday was concerned, uh, I won three out of those four that I mentioned. So 
And uh, I, I must say, if the crowd was there yesterday, uh, I, I think uh, they, could, they would have to rebuild another grandstand, probably, because the grandstand would have come down. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about the St James's Palace and, and your horse, Palace Pier. It, it, it was a race that garnered a lot of discussion afterwards about how slowly it was run, some of the tactics that were used in the race. How, how aware were you of where Pinatubo was and, and how you were going to make your challenge as you, as you sort of turned up the side of the track? Well, I had a chat with John yesterday. I said, listen, uh, it's going to be messy. It's going to be uh, tactical and messy, basically. So, listen, I'm drawing a bit wide. I'm going to stay out of the way, let everybody get in a scrap. And, and that's what actually happened, really. They all tried to knock each other over. And uh, and I sat quiet out of the back. And I, I came with a nice sweeping run. I knew my horse would uh, see the mile really well. And uh, I, I made uh, Pinatubo uh, show his cards first. You know, I made him commit. And... Uh, and, and I, I knew perhaps most was better stay out on the day, and that's and that's what actually happened. And so for, for once, we got it right. Well, you got it right several times this week. The other horse that I was really struck by this week was um, we'll talk about Stradivarius in a minute, but was was Fanny Logan because she she won really quite impressively in the end, and and looks like she's really going places. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I couldn't see her winning that race, but John said uh, was very confident and. It, it, it told me to be patient. I had other ideas. I wanted to be forward, but it told me to be patient. And that's uh, that's why me and John get on so well, because sometimes he gets it right, sometimes I do. So I, we, we are a nice team together. And, yeah, I mean, a uh, mile and a half, a bit of cut in the ground, she, she proved uh, she proved a revelation in that race. I mean, do you think she could run in, in, in races like the King George and hold her own? Uh, well, she's got to take over, take on the the big girl. So maybe she might find that uh, a bridge too too far. But you know, perhaps uh, a British Cup fillies and mares uh, uh, could be in the agenda. Or there's some nice races in France, Group Ones for fillies. I think I think uh, uh, yeah, she's she's got some good targets coming up. Oh, the problem is that there's a lot of horses in your own yard that would be queuing up to take on the big girl because there the, are the obvious races for them. And John said he, he'd entered Stradivarius for the, for the arc this week. But let's just, let's just enjoy what he did the other day in the, in the Gold Cup. I mean, did, did, did all the rain falling affect your confidence in any way? A little bit. A little bit because uh, it is better on fast ground. But... Uh, I mean, he's got some lungs that was as unbelievable. I mean, the, the further I was going, the better he was going. Basically, from the four to the winning post, I mean, he was dragging me off the saddle. Amazing. I mean, look how small he is, but he's got some lungs. And uh, he's a wonderful horse. And, uh, you know, what he did on Thursday, I don't think we'll see a performance like that. I know the soft ground... Uh, makes things a bit different but wow my god I've never seen a horse do that in a, in, a, in a race like the Gold Cup and it's not as though you don't know him it's not as though you haven't ridden him to a ton of Group 1 victories before but you actually feel that he felt different for you when you when you went for him he, did he feel different to how he normally does I think he was more confident 
uh, as he went through the field, he got more and more confident. And you know, he, he's a clever boy. Usually, he, he passes it, and then he thinks he's done enough. But he didn't do that on Thursday. He just kept going and going and going. He could have gone round again. It's amazing. Well, it, it was it was wonderful to watch. I, I'm hoping today, given that it's Father's Day, you're going to be pampered by all your children and they're all waiting on you hand and foot. Am I, am uh, I close? I, no, you're not close. And the one, <laughs> at the moment, it's no one to be seen. <laughs> and um, I asked my wife if she could uh, get me the newspapers and uh, she just stormed out of the house and got to look after the horses in, uh, in the stable. So that's a no. So uh, I think Father's Day is... Uh, it's a bit of a disaster at the moment. <laughs> well, I'm hoping you can, you'll get a chance to relax at least and maybe just keep, keep watching back the videos from this week. Thanks, Nick. Top man. Thanks, Frankie. Thanks, David. Bye. Uh, Frankie Dottori, the top jockey at Ascot. Hey, fair to say, enjoying it more than ever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cliché from the racing press room, isn't it, that uh, a jockey, say, of 40-plus, of is, is riding better than ever. And... At 49, mm -hmm. I think scientists would tell us that that's not really possible in terms of, uh, uh, of the way that the body we works, react yeah. uh, to stuff. Um, but Dottori's now won the last two of those uh, at Ascot. Last year was his best year in terms of Group 1s. The regime that he has at the moment of concentrating on, on quality is working supremely well. And I think it's a... Normally when someone says something like that, you, you, you laugh at the TV and think, what a ridiculous thing to say, a man of 49 is riding better than ever. But in his case, that must be backed up by the statistics, mustn't it? it despite well, his I, reactions must be slow. Obviously, he looks very good for 49, doesn't he? I don't wish to flatter him too much, but he obviously, you know, he's obviously a youthful 49. But he does seem to be riding at, at least as well as ever, doesn't he? And that, and that description of how he won the St James's Palace Stakes I thought was the most interesting part of that interview. You know, drawing Pinatubo into making the challenge first, understanding that the race was likely to be very tactical, realising the complexity of the track. I, I think that's, the, re that's, a, that's a, the really interesting point, in that we, we tend to, uh, you know, we look at jockeys' reaction times when, uh, you know, which obviously gets slower, I suppose, every year after 30 in theory, uh, but uh, he's, the, the bank of knowledge he's got mm -hmm. as to how races unfold is obviously mm -hmm. greater than ever and it's more telling than ever. Yeah. Um, over your shoulder, David, is Roger Varian and I would venture to suggest, given the sort of form that the horses are in, Roger, that rather lovely rocking horse behind you could have won at Ascot this week. It's been a, it's been a wonderful week for your team. Uh, what's the mood in the yard at the moment? Yeah, thanks, Nick. It's it's very buoyant in the yard. Um, you know, we have a great team here working behind the scenes, um, and they live for the results as much as as I do and as much as the owners do. So, you know, the the, the mornings all week uh, this past week were you know it was a joy to come into the yard, and all the staff had an extra spring in their step for sure. And it wasn't just the winners. Nearly every horse you ran ran with ran with great credit. Did you have a feeling going into the meeting that the horses were were very healthy and in in very good form? Yeah, we hope they were. I mean, I've been very happy with them 
sort of leading up to the resumption of racing. I thought the results the first fortnight, you know, we had plenty of winners and, you know, plenty of horses running well, not winning, but shaping like future winners. You know, they showed they were in good form. I thought the team for Ascot was strong, but I, but I had thought that in past years and come away empty-handed. So I don't think you take anything for granted at uh, Royal Ascot. Uh, we had a, you know, a decent start. I thought Roseman ran a, a very good race in the Queen Anne. I thought Mutamasik was a touch unlucky winning, winning up the middle, the Buckingham Palace stakes. And as the whole week showed, you know, high numbers were slightly favoured. So I thought he ran very well on Tuesday. And then, of course, Salayel was just, just beaten, you know, just before the line, first race on Wednesday. I thought, oh, God, it's going to be a, a nearly week for us. Um, but when Fujara Prince won the last on, on Wednesday, that settled the nerves. And Thursday was a magical day for us. It really was. Which of the results gave you the most satisfaction for whatever reason? I think probably Molathan winning the, the jersey. Although Calusi was, you know, really uh, scintillizing in the Britannia. Um, I think Molathan has uh, not been as straightforward as a lot of the horses this spring. He took a a while to come to himself. He's took a while to show what we thought he was capable of on the gallops. I remember being stood with Angus Gold and Richard Hills um, not all that long ago, three weeks before the Guineas, I should think, watching him do a piece of work. Jim Crowley had driven up to sit on him. Obviously, we had the 2,000 Guineas in our mind at that stage, and he worked abysmally. And... Um, we thought this was our best three-year-old, you know, for, for, for the Shadwell team. And it was a, a real sort of chin on the floor moment. And where do we go from here? But I suppose in hindsight, it, at the very least, it, it left me in, in no doubt that uh, the Guineas wasn't going to be his race. It was going to come too soon, even though it was a month behind where it should be. The horse uh, wasn't firing. And um, I spoke with Sheikh Hamdan, who's always... Uh, excellent to speak to always a gentleman to deal with and uh, he listened uh, very well to what what we all thought and you know he was he was then very supportive that we we take a bit longer with a horse and we all thought the jersey at ascot was his race and it gave us an extra couple of weeks to get him fine-tuned he really only came to hand uh, in the final fortnight so i think to not to be sucked into a guineas and to to hold off wait for a, a race that we really thought was his race and to see him deliver the way, the way he did was very satisfying. Roger, for a lot of horses, when they get to that class, the programme book simply dictates where they go. For him, it's a bit more nuanced than that. You, you've got quite interesting options as regards what distance he goes to or stays at, what kind of class you run in, how you map out his future. What thoughts have you had since his win in the jersey? To be honest, Nick, the thoughts are probably st are still ahead of us. Um, Ascot, such a mad week. We've, we've been back and forth, back and forth. You know, Friday, Saturday, just catching our breath now on Sunday morning. Um, I'll speak with Sheikh Hamdan again and speak with Angus and, and Rich and the team and and see. But I think um, I think this horse has got deceptive speed. You know, he's he's built and made like a very fast horse. He's mm -hmm. a very powerful thigh a very uh, you know a huge gasky and he, he he looks if if i showed you him just stood up in the yard he looks like he's built like a fast horse 
he doesn't always work at home like a fast horse because he's, he's incredibly laid back. He's hard to get a measure on at home. But if you watch the jersey again, he, he, he was far enough back after two furlongs, and yet he was almost in front at the five marker with two to run. So he moved into the race with um, sort of effortless uh, ease, I suppose. And even Jim would say he probably got there too soon. And then, he, and then he's had to show his other qualities. He's had to show his battling qualities when he was headed to come back on the line. So I thought he, he saw the stiff seven out on that ground in the manner of a horse who should stay a mile, no problem. But, you know, he's a fast horse and he's always traveled strong in his races. And seven, you know, equally looks looks his trip as well. So I think he'd, he'd go forward with seven furlong options, uh, the likes of a Jean Pratt, perhaps the Lennox Stakes at uh, a Goodwood as live possibilities. Um, equally, you know, the mile options, we certainly wouldn't rule out either. So you're quite right. We've got a variety of options with the horse and we'll try and pick our way best we can. And I, I mentioned the, the rocking horse behind you at the beginning of the, of the interview. Am I right in saying that it says Defoe on it? You're quite right, Nick. Yeah. yeah it's... Uh, we call it pre-COVID expenditure. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> actually a gift for our, our three-year-old daughter, Raker, who Raker is in love with Defoe. And Defoe um, gave us such a special year last year, winning the Coronation Cup and the, um, and the Hardwick, of course. And, you know, he's a yard favourite. He's a, he's a gentleman of a horse to have anything to do with. The kids could ride him round the yard bareback. Um, so he's a yard favourite. So, yeah, there he is. I, I, I'm not sure whether it's a flattering portrayal of him or, or not, but it certainly, is, it certainly is pretty as him, and it's, it's the right colour, and it is, it is rather nice. Um, just tell me how Defoe is. Were you pleased with his run in the hard work? He just sort of showed a, a glimmer more again, didn't he? Yeah, he's come out of a race fine. I thought it was uh, a, a good run. Showed his, uh, his back. Um, maybe not quite uh, up to the level of his very best. Um, but he's not getting any younger. I thought it was a good run. Quite where we go from here, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's quite um, up to the King George. And um, We'll see. I mean, he's a fun horse. He's a gelding. He, he goes on a variety of ground. He might be a horse to try and have in, in good shape in the autumn and hope hope we're allowed to consider international trips again. And, you know, he'd be a horse to, to consider something away from home in the autumn, I think. Uh, just before you go, I cannot leave you without asking you about Calusi because there were fewer impressive, uh, f there were few more impressive performances during the week at, at Royal Ascot. And where do you think that the ceiling might be for this horse? Yeah, I was blown away uh, by how he won the Britannia, and and I have to be honest, I wasn't expecting. Um, I expected him to run well, but I didn't expect him to do what he did. Um, a lot of credit to John Lowe, who at the grand grand old age of 69, rides Calusi every morning, um, and actually Richard Hills as well. I was uh, we had a setback with him a month or so ago, and I just thought we were racing against. Time was against us to get him to Ascot, and I thought the Britannia, big field, straight, stiff mile, you know, just might be a tough uh, starting point for the horse. 
he's a horse we liked, obviously, from last year. He did nothing wrong on his two starts. He he had the clock watches purring at Wolverhampton, I think his final two furlongs, which were fi- fairly unextended last year. Um, he clocked uh, serious fractions. So he, he was a horse that we went into the winter with high hopes for. He's not as laid back as Molatham, but he's pretty relaxed in his work. He's a hard horse to gauge. I had a bit of a wobble about declaring him on on Monday morning, and uh, you know Richard Hill said, "No, come on, you know this is what we do it for," and and we got we got him in the race, and thank God we did because um, to see what he did, he he looked uh, you know he looked like he could be a high high class prospect. So, what now? I suppose. Well, you'd have to think um, handicaps are behind him and, you know, he's got all kinds of options, you know, from listed races up, uh, probably staying at a mile. He's come out of a race fine. I I think we should uh, not rush him back to the track. I think it's easy to think when horses win easy, you know, in the manner that he did, they've won easy and they've not had a hard race. I should think he had an incredibly hard race to to clock the time he did and to open up the, the gap between him and the field. So I should think he's had a hard race, you know, off a long layoff. So I wouldn't be in a rush to get him back on track, but I'm sure um, at some point in July, you know, we'll be going back to the race course with him. And uh, I haven't really spoken to, to the team about where we go with him, but, you know, we'll, um, we'll look forward to him for sure. And, you know, hopefully uh, better races to be one with him in the future. Well, Roger, it's been a, a terrific week for you. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning. I, I shall let you get back to, uh, to the string and, and all your duties at home. Thanks, Nick. Now, Roger Varian, who increased his tally of Royal Ascot winners from five to nine with a spectacular four-timer, including Malatham and Calusi, as you heard from there, for Jared Prince and Mountain Angel, the other two horses. I, was, I found that very interesting, Dave. Yeah, I mean, Calusi was particularly interesting I suppose because when when one sees races at a meeting like that one by extended distances it's 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 rarely in handicaps you know obviously the the rain softened ground accentuated things with Stradivarius where he won by 10 lengths eight back to the third but with Calusi at what looks a a fiendish handicap of improving three-year-olds going into that race for it to be one so emphatically, I mean, as as Roger Varian said there, you know, the, the, or you said, I think handicaps are out. Uh, it, it it was, you know, that was really one of the performances. We um, Malatham, I thought, travelled really well and then dug really deep too. I, I'd I'd be interested to know or find out what that horse's optimum trip will be in future. It sounds like they're interested as well. I was very interested to hear Roger talking about his physique and the fact that he looks more like a fast horse or an extended sprinter than a a mile-plus horse. And it makes me think that if there was any deviation from seven furlongs, it might be shy rather than further. I'm not not one for horses' physiques and physiology, but even I could look at him and think he's he's got that sort of build. he seemed to. Uh, I, th- I think that seven, in the, certainly the short to medium term, might be best for him. But we'll see. Dave, could you give me a, a line or two on Alan King? Uh, well, recently, uh, uh, alumni of Timeform were asked to uh, f- do an online questionnaire about uh, 
their time in Halifax, what they had learned, etc., etc. And I, I really enjoyed doing mine, and I hope people didn't find it too boring to read. But when they said, you know, observations on um, trainers, jockeys for the future, I did say, well, Alan King strikes me as someone who should who should train more on the flat because he seems to have a lot of success in that sphere. Did I tip any of his three winners this week? The answer to that is no. I did tip Tritonic. Who ran a fine who race. Who ran a fine race but didn't win. And went pretty close to making it a <laughs> sensational four on the week for the Master of Barbary Castle, who joins me on the line now. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Morning, Dave. I'm sure you won't mind, Dave, describing you in his time form um, questionnaire as the sort of up-and-coming trainer, Alan King. It's been a long time since we've had that, isn't it? But uh, no, very flattering. What a sensational week. I mean, really sensational week. To have three winners at the, at the Royal Meeting, even in these bizarre circumstances, must have, must have given everyone a huge, huge boost and thrill. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from, from the Tuesday to, on the first winner, I mean, we've been sort of partying ever since, and the, the, the team are buzzing, which is great to see. We had a quiet winter, um, and then through, obviously, the very difficult time of lockdown, but everyone's been rewarded for the hard work, and, yeah, we're, we're thrilled with it all. And, and at various stages of your career, you've gone from being a sort of, you know, quite a dual-purpose trainer, having quite a big flat string, to then a slightly smaller one, to then a bigger one, smaller one, and now a, a sort of more, more substantial one a, again. Do you think that that's the model you're going to work with now, a, a sort of more even split? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we started, I think, about 2002, we, we had three heroes, and we're all pretty good, and we got up to about 15, 20 flat horses, and then the the jumping went so well that everybody wanted to send me jumpers and I had no flat horses for a couple of years and that was one thing I really regretted. So over the last few years we've just gradually built up a bit more. We probably have 50 to 60 this year. One or two of them would be dual purpose but the rest, you know, are proper flat horses. And we're going to the sales again this week to see if we can get some more um, two-year-olds. And, and do you get the same buzz out of it? Oh yes, I get buzz. Yeah, any winner is very special. <laughs> Um, Ascot is a place, I, I think I've been going there since the late 80s. David Nicholson was a huge fan of Ascot and it was part of my holidays. I used to go with him for a week and I loved it. I think this is the only the second one that I've not attended since about 88. Um, we didn't go to York when Ascot was being redeveloped. Um, and it's just, I've always said it's my favourite week of the year. Uh, and that's even without winners. I just, I, I just thought for sheer class and horse and fun, it's, it's a wonderful week. And you tasted Royal Ascot's success before with, with Primitivo, who went on to have a, a wonderful career in, in Hong Kong as, uh, as Gold Mount. When, when you won with him, did you think, I want to be back here every year, I want to be doing this? Did it, did it redouble your energies to, to this part of the game? Definitely. I mean, years ago, we had a pretty good horse called Sal Salino. It, it was the old Ascot, and I got beaten a short head. And I was absolutely thrilled with the run, and then that night it hit me that, oh, God, I might never have a winner. That might be as close as I get. So... Once you've tasted it, you, want, you definitely want more, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the horses this year, because they're, they're three real warriors, essentially, aren't they? Coeur de Leon, Scarlet Dragon and Who Dares Wins. I, I wouldn't like to, to try and guess how many runs they've had, had between them, but they are, they are horses with, with great heart, all of them. Very much so. I mean, Who Dares Wins is, is, is really remarkable. And he, was a, you know, he started his, he had two seasons at, at Richard Hannon's, and I think he won three or four on the bounce with him as a three-year-old. And he's taken, you know, the owners, myself, everywhere now. I mean, we've been to Ascot three or four times. We've been to Cheltenham, Aintree. He ran in a Group 1 in France last week, uh, last season, finished fourth. Um, so, and he's a great two-winner over fences. And not many can do that. 
and he's still got all the enthusiasm. So what is it about him that sets him apart? Just a tough horse. He loves, loves his work, loves his racing. And once he got to the front yesterday, I thought he'll hang on now. He's a very, very difficult horse to pass once he gets there. And we just watched it again last night. You know, I think they got another furlong and, and, and Ian's horse wouldn't have got past him. He was just always doing enough to hold him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's been a great... Uh, they all have been great, but he's been particularly... Um, you know, he just he can take him anywhere. Now, now, Scarlet Dragon probably needs a bit more finesse, though he's a horse I absolutely love. How impressed were you with Holly Doyle's ride? Well, it was remarkable. I must admit, turning in, I'm thinking, I wish she would pull out, but she, <laughs> she, she, she had the nerve to sit, and it was a fantastic run. And he's, I want to give credit to one of my lads, Vassal, who he, he rides this horse every day. Um, he, had a, he had a good winter break at Fiona Manas, and since he came back, he has so, only seen one horse on two occasions. He does all his work on his own. Um, he goes out at the front of the string. And if he, he you know, of course, he jump off and the gallop in front of me tends to sort of plant himself and won't go. So Vassal gets on extremely well with him. He won't, he won't mind me saying, I think he's about 13 and a half stone. So he probably thought he was loose on, the, on Thursday. But um, it was a great achievement by him. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know where we go now. I'm sure Henry will have plans for him, but we might look at Goodwood. And Coeur de Leon is a is a horse who just keeps keeps going. I mean, he 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 will stay and stay all day. Indeed, yeah. And uh, the rain that came on Monday night was perfect for him just to take the sting out of the ground, you know. And probably was a hindrance to Nicky's filly, who who loves it fast. But um, and again, Thor gave her gave him a, a smashing ride. I mean, because he was a, a five pound claimer, he couldn't actually ride this year until mm. Monday night at Chepstow and. Um, I was I was very pleased when the agent rang last week and said, "Look, he's available. Do you want him?" Because he gets on so well with Cody Leon. How much of a kick did it give you that you're giving three young jockeys that taste of of Ascot's success and and doing so much for for the careers of of a new generation? No, I'm delighted for them. I and mean, you know, they're, they're I mean, I've known Tom and Holly for quite a long time, and they're they're just a delight to to deal with. And and, and so is Thor. You know, he came in on um, last Saturday to ride work and. Um, they're very, they're just, they're very nice people. Their manners are impeccable, and I think all three of them can ride extremely well, as they showed. So, if everybody now rings you up and says, "I want you to train a horse on the flat for me," where where does that leave the National Hunt string? Well, we don't do summer jumping anyway. We have very few, so you know, we get to the end of the end of the summer, and we can start. We we'll still have a big team of, I would hope, we we'll have over a hundred jumpers again. Um, we have just struggled for a year or two with just. The, Missing the grade one horses, but mm. you know, I wouldn't say they're hard to find, they're hard impossible to buy. Um, so we haven't got the sort of void paws and my ways and catches at the moment, but we keep looking. And um, this will have given everyone a great lift this week. We can still do the job without a shadow of a doubt. If you were going to rank this week or, or this achievement of three Royal Ascot winners alongside whatever else you've achieved in your training career, where would you put it? I think it's got to be right up there. I, I, 2007, we had three Grade One winners at Cheltenham. I can't say yet this week's been better than that, but it's been equal to that, I think. Um, and having had those great days, you know, you miss them when you have a quiet spell. So it's uh, it probably means a lot more to me now than I, I, I was probably a bit blasé back there that it, it just it took it for granted, which you should never do. But the older you get, the more you appreciate the, the real good ones. Dave, Alan, well done on this week. Um, I, there was a question I wanted to ask you about who dares wins. Um, during lockdown, there were loads of uh, 
you had to nominate people for various challenges and quizzes and stuff like that. And one of the things that people asked was the, the horses you would most like to own. And most, most people went for Frankel and Dancing Brave and the ones that had won the most money. Um, but the horse that I, I put was Overturn, who obviously ran with such distinction both on the flat and over hurdles. Um, with Who Dares Wins, is he a rarity in being so adaptable to, to doing... To, to being so good on the flat, over hurdles and over fences, or do you think all thoroughbreds... It's a horsey question. Could, could all thoroughbreds uh, be that versatile, versatile if, they, if they were given the opportunity? I think one or two could probably be that versatile, but I, I don't think that many could do it at the level that this horse is playing at, you know? I mean, he's, he's, he's now rated over, what is he, 107 or 8 on the flat, um, and he didn't just win an obvious chase. I mean, he won a grade two. So it's the level he's doing it at. I mean, Willie Mullins, had, I think he unfortunately got killed in America last winter, but he had a similar horse that went all around the world, and he was a chase winner as well as flat and hurdling. But there's very few could do it at that, at that, uh, that level. Alan, a, tr a tremendous week. Thanks so much for talking to us, and, uh, and fingers crossed that the success continues. Pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Alan King, uh, three winners this week, and a win for... Uh, Holly Doyle as well, becoming the second female jockey to ride a winner in the week after Hayley Turner, who'd enjoyed a pioneering success the previous year in the Sandringham handicap at 33 to 1 for Charlie Fellis. But lining doesn't strike twice, does it? Yes, it does. Onassis, 33 to 1 again, same trainer. Hayley, good morning. Amazing. Um, and first, before we talk about Onassis, how are you? Because you had a horrid fall last night at, at Kempton and you're smiling and in one piece, which is good news. <laughs> yeah, I was so lucky. It was just one of those freak incidents. Um, the poor filly that I was riding broke her leg and um, basically broke both because the pressure on the other leg made her... Anyway, I got a, I got a fall and um, it's not very forgiving the old weather, but, but luckily I've just woke up a bit sore but nothing serious. And I, I saw you at Kempton. We were leaving Kempton last Monday and you were a bit sort of downbeat about the... the the next couple of days but then you did say just as I turned away you said we're going to try and win the Sandringham again with a horse for Charlie Fellows and I didn't really think much of it and then I, I went home and when I was looking through the race I sort of had this mental picture in my mind of what your face had looked like when you'd said that and I, and I sort of remember that I, th I thought I detected a glimmer of confidence so I, I, I tipped it but that's the only reason so I, I'm, I'm giving you all the credit oh, for, good. for well a, done. what I thought was a subliminal tip. <laughs> Um, were you that confident or was I imagining it? No, well, Charlie Fellows, I ride out for him and he said to me three months ago that's going to be the, the plan for, for her, for Anassis, is going to go to the Sandringham and um, we actually think she's better than the filly I won on last year, thanks be. Um, and I've ridden her at home a couple of times and she's just, um, she's been going so well and all the ticks in the right boxes and... Um, same draw, same ground, sort of rode her very similarly. So yeah, it was um, it was a thrill. You didn't have to work as hard on this one, though. I mean, she she really won very well. She did because she quickened really well on that ground, you know, in a short space of time. And it was, you know, it would the rain had really got in. So I was impressed with her and. She seems to thoroughly enjoy her racing. She's got a great attitude and she's, she's really well-bred. So 
hopefully next they might try and get a bit of black tie with her. You, you, you're right. I mean, Baidu Bawi out of the demoted ja um, Guinea's heroine, Jacqueline Quest, and a, a half-sister to, to Line of Duty as well. It's a, it's a wonderful pedigree. I know when you're riding Royal Ascot winners, the week is going to be a good week for you, but how... How did, it, how did it feel this week? It was, an, it was an odd sensation being there. How did it feel from a jockey's point of view? I think from a jockey's point of view, it was just equally as satisfying because it's hard to find the horses and then to get on the horses in the first place. And then riding in the races, you're still competing against you know, the best horses going. And it's, it's just as tough. So when you pass the line in front, nothing's changed apart from you don't have the crowd so bar having a few drinks in the car park after it wasn't much different for me <laughs> not that you'd be having a few drinks in the car park after anyway because you're too much of a professional <laughs> yeah you know you know me <laughs> um now just as regards uh, your commitments the last couple of weeks it's not just been about um riding the horses you've been across a lot of media outlets and you've been boldsome You've been bowled some quite tricky questions in places about whether racing should have been happening and, and whether, whether Royal Ascot should have been happening. I, mean, I think we can now reflect on the fact that it was a great success. How, how much responsibility have you felt sort of being a, an advocate for the sport, if you like? I, f I felt quite confident about the resumption of racing and I, I knew how, everyone how much work everyone had put into it and how safe it was going to be and I think when I feel that confident I'm able to speak well about it and so it was nice that I got to go and sort of speak for racing and I had to say when I was on the Pierce Morgan show I was a little bit <laughs> a little bit scared going into that but it was actually pretty easy and I think that racing's really shown itself in a good light since the return because everyone's everyone seems to be on board and, and happy with how it's gone. Uh, and I'm sure uh, you were you were thrilled for Holly Doyle that she she followed you in the the very next day. And now we can we can move on and just expect success for female riders at Royal Ascot rather than rather than talk about it. Yeah, I think it's just going to become more and more common now. So I think Holly having a winner was was fantastic because she's broken so many records and Holly works so hard and. Um, she's such a lovely girl as well, and it was yeah, it was nice that we both did it. And are you gonna are you gonna take a few days just with the with the? I know you, you haven't got an injury, but are you gonna take a few days rest now, or are you just gonna kick straight on? Well, because um, it was such a heavy fall last night, I've had to um, I've had to have today off. So it's meant to be at Kempton, but I'm not able to go. Um, and then I wasn't riding on Monday anyway, but hopefully then I'll be back into it Tuesday and. And onwards. Okay, Haley. Well, I, the, as I said at the beginning of the interview, um, great that you're you're okay after last night, and and congratulations again at Asker. Thanks so much for chatting to us again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Cheers. Not at all, Haley Turner, who's ridden another Royal Ascot winner this time on Anasis. That was a horrible fall last night, Dave. It really was. Um, so I'm very pleased to see her in one piece. Yeah, I must admit, I, I didn't see uh, I didn't see that last night, but. Uh, yeah, heroics again, as you say. Also, in the lead up to the resumption, I think Haley did extremely well, um, and I, I, that sounded patronising, but it, it wasn't meant to be that way at all. Mm. I thought that, as you say, there were some tough questions asked about whether racing should be uh, resuming, and I, I thought she spoke for the sport extremely well. Uh, you know, the the issue of women riders and success at Royal Ascot, uh, it it 
I, I hope it's, and believe it will become less of an issue mm. uh, as the years go by. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Because there's going to be more of it, obviously. Yeah. It's a weird thing because you think, well, I don't want to keep going on about it because it sounds as though it shouldn't be the, the norm. But on the other hand, you need to acknowledge the fact that, that a breakthrough of sorts is slowly too yeah, slowly, but slowly being made. You do, and also, I mean, from a newspaper point of view, I, 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 my own instinct is not to make a big deal of it. That's what mm. often the, the 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 women who ride big winners tell you. Well, it's no big deal. And but of course, among different yeah. newspapers, there will be someone. There will be a paper that goes massive on it, and then the next day, if you don't, you've got a bit of explaining to do to your people. So like, they led on this. Why did you bury it at the bottom of the report? And, and so there is an element of that uh, when it comes to covering. Uh, uh, Covering success, but it's also if you're, work, if, you're, if you're working for a mainstream newspaper, if you're working for a mainstream TV network, and you're you're being asked for sort of three or four headlines of the week yeah. at Royal Ascot, and you pitch that to somebody who's not a real racing fan, they're going to put that up there as one of their three or four Indeed. headlines. Yeah, absolutely. Let's um, let's talk to the representative of the leading owner at Royal Ascot this week. Um, Shadwell Star Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum was the leading owner with six individual winners, all ridden by his retained jockey, Jim Crowley, who came so, so close to being leading jockey and only found the might of an inspired Frankie Dettori doing him late on. Um, Sheikh Hamdan's racing manager and has been for many, many years now is Angus Gold, who joins me on the line. Angus, good morning. Morning, Nick. Uh, a week for your wildest dreams, I'd say. <laughs> no doubt of that. Um, it was extraordinary. We, I think of a number of years we've sat there at Ascot, I think five out of the last ten, we've been there for five days and not had a single winner. Um, those are long, long weeks, as you can imagine. So um, to suddenly come up with six was just beyond our wildest dreams, exactly. And you, you struck in the first race with, with Motta Kyle. And I think the thing that struck me about that victory was that Jim Crowley could have ridden two horses that were shorter in the betting and he went for Motta KL. That takes a bit of judgment. It certainly does. He rode the horse uh, probably a couple of weeks before. Richard Hannon took him away to work, and Jim rang me buzzing about the horse and said he gave him a fantastic feel. Um, so we were always, he was always going to ride him, and then he put the fear of God into me by ringing me the night before on the Monday saying he was driving past Ascot and it was pouring. Would we think of withdrawing the horse? So that took him straight out of my Yankee, so he's still in my bad book. <laughs> But uh, no, it was great to see the horse come out and win like that. And as you say, it was a tricky decision for him, and he got it spot on. No decisions to have to make with with Batash in the in the King's Stand. What to what extent did did the imperious nature of that victory take a bit of the pressure off? Um, I don't think it was pressure really, Nick. By that stuff, I mean obviously when you win the first race, that relieves everything. Um, so we were just hoping for the horse's sake to see him come out and, and put his best foot forward. You know, he was beaten by a top-class horse the last two years, a lot of people knocking him, so it was just wonderful to see him come out and, and get his name on the score sheet. Do you think he needed to improve to win or not? Or needs to improve on last year's run to win? I don't think so, necessarily. Um, I think Blue Point was an outstanding horse, um, and maybe there wasn't one of those in the field. But even so, you have to go and do it. And as everyone knows, we've had our bad days with this fellow as well as the good days. But Tuesday was definitely a going day. 
How much satisfaction does Sheikh Hamdan get from Batash? You've been associated with him for so, so many years now. You've been through all the great horses, great sprinters, great stayers, great milers, great middle distance horses. Uh, what sort of place does Batash have in his affections? I think he's right up there now, Nick. Um, obviously, because he's six years old, so he's been around. You know, you get more attached to these horses. Um, he, as, as I said earlier, he's given us a few dodgy days as well, so it's not like he's done it every time. But when he's good, he's very good. And obviously, for Sheikh Hamdan, with that much investment on that many horses, when you get one as good as that, it's, it's extra special. There's talk about the races he's going to go for. You know, he writes itself the fourth race at Goodwood, the, the King George, and then, uh, and then the Nunthorpe, which he won so brilliantly last year. And the question's been asked by me and by others will he ever go to the Breeders' Cup and, and try and avenge the, the defeat of, of Deja, albeit on the turf this time? Um, I would never say never, Nick. Uh, obviously, that's entirely Sheikh Hamdan's decision. As you've seen in the last couple of years, he can, his form can tail off and he'll suddenly run a, a terrible race like he did in Paris last year. So it's very hard to travel a horse off the back of that if he's still in very good form at the end of the year. You know, it would certainly be considered just bearing in mind that in, during his lifetime he hasn't been the easiest horse to deal with so they seem to have him very settled and very happy now so that would have to come into the equation but but you know if he's still in good shape i'm sure it would be considered and do you think he'd go around a bend okay <laughs> luckily not my problem i would be sitting <laughs> on him um i'm sure he would i'm sure he would uh, and, you know for me he's he's got a way to go before he's a deja but uh uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do that. And the trouble is, he's going so fast by that stage, you never quite know. Do you think there's any anything in terms of what you've been doing in, in purchasing or breeding over the last three or four years, because we know these things don't happen overnight, that's contributed to having six winners at Royal Ascot? Has there been any kind of policy shift that you could put your finger on? No, um, I don't think so. I think we have access to some fantastic stallions in this part of the world at the moment. Um, and obviously we're always trying to upgrade the quality of the Broodmare band. Um, so uh, a horse like Hookham, who won the King George V handicap, yeah. um, you know, he's, he's a beautifully bred horse, and you'd be disappointed if he couldn't run, something like that. So uh, I think there's a bit of that, um, just getting better mares, as you say, and... and uh, but but buying-wise, no, it's it's still as hard as ever, or it has been up to now, to try and buy the right horses. I think we kept a lot more older horses in training in the last couple of years. Obviously, Sheikh Hamdan likes to take a lot of horses to Dubai to race there during their, their winters. Um, so we have to. it's a sort of fine line between keeping good older horses here for him to enjoy when he's in Europe and having good horses in Dubai. But, you know, the, the likes of Batash and Motokale... And even Nazif, um, you know, his, his policy has always been to retire his three-year-old fillies at the end of the three-year-old year. Um, and uh, we begged him last year to keep Nazif because she hadn't got any black type to her name. She'd had a slightly interrupted career, but we thought she was a filly of, of a lot of it with a lot more to give. Uh, and luckily, in the end, he agreed, and, and she rewarded us by winning a group two, which was fantastic. So there have been a few little tweaks here and there. As I say, you need those good older horses. Mm. We were, we thought we were light on three-year-olds going into the year. Yeah, uh, Malafan was our best horse last year, best two-year-old. And as Roger 
rightly said earlier when he was disappointing in his work the other day and we had to skip the guineas. Um, I was a little worried whether we were going to have some three-year-olds, so it was great to see him win and lovely to see uh, Kalusi come out and, and make himself look so good later in the day. Yeah, they're, they're very exciting prospects to look forward to, as is a horse who won away from most people's eyes, but not not our cameras, Al Arsi at Newmark. And William Haggis has spoken very warmly about him um, all through the winter, but he needed to go and deliver a, a, a commanding performance, and, and he's done that now. You can you can build on this, I guess. 100%. Um, he, he let everybody down a bit on his first start. It was a listed race and dropped him straight in it. But he'd been working consistently well through the spring. Um, Richard Hills has been raving about the horse having sat on him, and, and we were all a bit deflated after he ran like that. And uh, William said he wanted to run him back relatively quickly because he didn't think he'd... He thought he just needed it mentally, really, to get back into the swing of racing. So it was lovely to see him win like that. And as you say, we can we can go forward from here. And uh, by the by the same sire as Malatham, um, Knight of Thunder, you had a debutant winner at, at Newmarket yesterday as well. Yes, um, uh, that was remarkable to me. That <laughs> that horse, um, we thought highly of, of the other horse of Roger Varian, the other Dubawi Montafa, um, who was very keen and basically ran his race the wrong way around. But uh, the winner by Knight of Thunder, he fractured a joint badly last year. And we brought him back to the stud after he was operated on. And then he got pneumonia and he got an abscess on his lung. And the vet said he was very unlikely ever to make the race course. So I was watching with quite a smile on my face when that happened. I was amazed. Uh, things going tremendously well. Uh, Angus, just in terms of the, the week as a whole, um, we began this programme by saying that a few weeks ago we were pretty surprised that Royal Ascot was still in the mix. And, and yet it's, I think, been widely considered a, a success in the most extraordinary circumstances. Uh, yeah, how much does it mean to your operation that this was able to, able to happen, notwithstanding the success you've had? Well, I think and it's an enormous amount of credit to an awful lot of people, obviously, to Ascot and all their team. Um, they had a sometimes pretty hostile environment in which they were trying to promote a meeting some sections of the media, there was a pretty disgraceful interview on uh, Radio 4 with Nick Smith, who was attacked for even contemplating holding the meeting a few weeks back. Um, and they managed to, they obviously had to be very sensitive in their handling of it, and yet try and promote the meeting at the same time. And I think they've achieved that, and massive amount of credit goes to all of them, um, and obviously to ITV and Sky Sports, all the other media outlets that helped to showcase it around the world. It's incredibly hard, I would imagine, to, to push something like that when there's so little atmosphere. But I thought, I watched a lot of the ITV coverage, I thought they did a tremendous job. And also, I, I great credit to all the, the racing professionals, the racing PLC, if you like, who behaved so brilliantly since racing returned. And shown how responsible racing can be, all the trainers and jockeys and the staff and everybody on the race course. They've been so professional in the way they've carried it off. And I have to say, I've, I've never been prouder of our sport than I am right now. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai.
Seems like an awful long time ago. One of the best results of the week for many people was the victory of Pile Driver, who was a horse that was led out unsold from the sales ring, retained by his owners, and is now one of the leading fancies for the Derby on the back of his victory in the King Edward VII Stakes at Royal Alaska. In and of itself, a hugely significant performance and an easy win as well for trainer William Muir, who joins me on the line now. William, well done, congratulations. How is Pile Driver? Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, Power Driver is took his race exceptionally well. He's he's fresh and he's doing really well. Um, and we just monitor him over the next few days. And when you went into the race on on Tuesday, did you did you believe you had a Derby horse on your hands then? No, I didn't think. I, I, I couldn't say I had a Derby horse. I went into the race thinking I had a really good chance of winning it. I thought I don't know how good. Mogul is. There was a lot of talk about Mogul. Um, I felt that I had form to beat all the English horses, um, which is quite a bold statement, but I thought stepping up to a mile and four would suit my horse, and I just didn't know how good Mogul was. Obviously, it was a very expensive purchase, and you didn't know whether he was going to be the superstar that they were all talking about. And looking at your horse, is there any is there any obvious reason why your owners couldn't get the bid that they wanted for him when he was a when he was a yearling? No, not at all, because he was such a good looking horse to the degree that when when they come to my yard to see him after he was broken and got there, and it was probably in about May, I stood him up in the box and I said, if I was to tell you he was by Frankel, you wouldn't argue he looks that good. He, he looked that good. And I just, yeah, and the reason being is fashion and harbour watch was gone out of fashion. And people just say, pencil through, we don't want them because we can't sell them on. It's, it's quite remarkable. And, and uh, are, you, are you surprised by how well he stays a mile and a half? I am because he's by harbour watch. But on the female side, the, they were all stout, stay, you know, the female side have all got um, plenty of stamina in, the, in that side. You know, her, her half-sister, La Paz's half-sister, stayed, and she's bred two very, very good horses that's, you know, been a mile and four horses on soft ground. So you, you knew on that side you were going to stay, but half a watch, he was a sprinter, so you thought, could he? I think the next filly, his sister, will stay as well, because she's by new approach. But, I mean, that's just a different look. I mean, I just thought, half a watch, will he get this trip? He gets the trip well, so you know that that's in your armoury as you, as you head to Epsom. What other attributes do you think the horse has that might make him well-suited to the race? Well, he doesn't worry about anything, Nick. He's so chilled out. He's not a tear-away. He drops in. He'll do whatever you asked of him. So he's got a great mind on him. OK, this year is like a, any, not like any other where you're not going to have masses of crowds. So I think the horses that can get a little bit keen and tasty when you're, when you're doing those things, you know, we're all going to be in the same, we're, we're not going to have people there, so it's going to be a chilled out affair, but it, it, even in the Norwood, this horse is so chilled out, so led back, there is strengths, he doesn't, he doesn't get himself worked up, he doesn't worry about life. Can you, can you quite get your head around the idea that you've got a horse that's, that's so well fancied for, for the Derby? I, I'm not, not because you haven't won big races, you have. But because the way that the best middle distance blood flows into so few hands now almost makes it impossible. Well, it does. And, and the thing that makes it impossible is because when they do so well, and he done very well as a two-year-old, for a horse that was so tall and narrow and weak, 
you know, his last race, I knew before we went to Newmarket, he'd lost his way. And I said to the owners, we shouldn't be going. They said, well, come on, we'll just, Martin can not knock him around if he falls in, if, if his weakness comes out, which is exactly what happened down into the dip. He sprawled around and that was it. Um, but no, he, then they got offered masses of money for him. And they said no. So normally I wouldn't have him because the normal people would normally say we're going to have to sell for that sort of money. This is a fortune. We were going to have to sell. These these boys, they're fantastic. They just said no, no, we're living the dream. Let's go. Well, that's just it's just tremendous. And, and are you happy with him? Oh, am I happy with him? I mean, I mean, are you happy with him in terms of his condition now, five days on from the race? Yes, but I want him. This is the thing I monitor with him. He's got to get his weight back to where he, he he's racing weight. He he lost a little bit, not not masses, and he's put two or three kilos back on quite quickly. He's eating fantastic. He's got he got stronger. It sounds stupid, but four days before Ascot, I was thinking, you know, come on, let's just see. And then the next day, he was just like a spark. It just turned it back on. He went in to see him in the box. He wanted to jump up on top of you because that's his party trick. And then he's bucking and kicking up the counter the next day. And I thought, we're there. So I just do the same. I'll monitor him. I'll see where we are. And as long as I'm happy with him, because I don't want to ruin this horse, because he, he still, his future is in front of him. He's a big big horse that's going to fill his frame one day and he's going to be exciting then. Well, hopefully he's exciting in a couple of weeks' time as well. William, thanks so much. It was one of the great stories of the week. Best of luck. Thank you, Nick. Thanks very much. Bye. And that, of course, Dave, is another reason why the Derby and other races at the top level do need to retain good prize money because otherwise there is no incentive to keep these horses. These yeah. owners were probably offered, well, seven figures... Yes, that's very true. To get rid uh, of this horse. That's very true. Uh, it's it's very interesting year this because a horse like that there'll be there'll be horses with sexier profiles going into that race. But the fact that so many all horses were deprived of the of that spring, mm. he was very professional at Ascot, and there will be horses at Epsom who who aren't quite as streetwise as him. And I think that this year that's something that could play into his hands. It was a really warming result. Uh, I was very pleased to see him win. Just tying up a few threads that have run through this programme. Well, how many horses will Aidan O'Brien run in the Derby? Because there isn't a primus inter pares, obviously, in terms of middle distance horses at the moment. Uh, though I, I think the horse who was second in the Irish Guineas is a lovely horse, Vatican City. I'm sure he'd, I, I would run him if he were, if he were mine. And there's a whole host he could run. Russian Kingdom was very good at... Uh, Russian Emperor, I should say, was uh, very good at Royal Ascot. Um, but at the moment, you've got Ed Walker with English King, you've got William Muir with Pile Driver, Andrew Balding has got a hugely powerful stable now, but it's another, it's, it's a slightly different name in terms of who normally turns up in the derby, yeah. with Cameco and perhaps one or two others. Yeah, and I mean, Aidan O'Brien saying this week that, that I suspect there are going to be a lot of runners um, from Ballyd Oil in, in the Investec Derby this year. I think that they'll really... There, there isn't a standout, as you say, but um, I think there'll be, there'll be plenty there. Yeah, definitely. We could end up with a big field. I always enjoy the Derby when it's a, when it's sort of a massive field, old school, old school yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, oh, completely. Um, now, another, another remarkable story at, at Royal Ascot was victory of the Learjet, who did race in Sheikh Farhad's Kata Racing Silks, the colours of, of Cameco, having been sold by his original owner, Nick Bell, who'd picked him up for a song, the son of Prince of Lear, who'd also won the Norfolk a few years ago. And Nick joins me on the line now. Nick, good morning. Morning, Nick. It's what everybody wants to do, isn't it? Find a, find a horse, spot a stallion, 
win a race, sell that horse for, for good money, and horse goes on to, to, to win at Royal Ascot. But if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. Congratulations. Thanks. No, it was, a, it was a great day, but sadly I can't take the credit for actually purchasing the horse itself. It was um, he was actually bought by a friend of mine called Robson McGear, who um, who preps his horses over in Ireland, and um, he was bought to go to the Breeze Ups, but because of this whole pandemic, uh, the sales were moved to next week, and um, he was showing a lot of speed, and it made more sense to um, you know to give him a to, to run him first uh, before Ascot, and then work away from there. And what was it that he'd spotted originally in in the horse by you know by a stallion who was yet to yet to emerge really or an emerging stallion and and not with the most fashionable pedigree? Yeah, pound for pound, Robson does very very well with from limited resources and obviously he he bought him relatively inexpensively. Um, but you know, looking at him as a physical now, he weighs 490 kilos. He's a cracking looking horse and. Um, when David Revers came to see him, he was pleasantly surprised at what he was buying. And so, we, when, when he won at Yarmouth, were you pretty sure that, that an, an offer would come in? Did you think, well, this is just the type of horse that people are going to be falling over themselves for for Ascot? Yeah, I mean, obviously he broke the all-age track record mm. at Yarmouth, but there were still a few doubters, I think, because obviously it was on very firm ground. But um, he was visually very impressive that day. Um, so, yeah, no, that, we, were, we were confident that we'd be able to shift him on. And I suppose the, 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 the other string to his bow he showed was being able to run down a horse that had gone clear on testing ground. So, you know, he's really got more game to him than perhaps we anticipated. Yeah, no, Dad said after the race uh, that, you know, at Ascot that was his first proper race because at Yarmouth he did it from the front and had it all his own way and it was, it was pretty plain sailing. But on Friday he had to dig in and battle. And um, I think what's encouraging for the future is that he looks like he'll get an extra furlong. Yeah, which opens up options for you as well. What what's in your mind for the rest of this season? I mean, do you do you half look at taking on the older horses in the two options available, the Nunthorpe and the Abbey? Um, I don't think that's at the forefront of our mind at the moment. I think probably you'd look at something like the pre morning um, because his last furlong was his best furlong on yeah. Friday, wasn't it? So on a I stiff track, that would be on a stiff track exactly. So I think that would be the logical step, but. Um, there's going to be some hot competition in that, I'm sure. And just for you and for, and for your family and for everyone involved in the yard, just the whole story, the, the trajectory, the arc of this horse, what's it, what's it meant to you all? Yeah, no, winners on the big days at Ascot, that's what it's all about. And um, they're absolute gold dust, very hard to come by. So to have a horse like him in the yard means an awful lot. You got any more? <laughs> there's, a, there's a sale next week. I'm sure we'll be able to find you on next. Well, as long as it's no more than, you know, six or seven grand, I get, you know, about 16, 20 people all involved, sticking, you know, three or four hundred quid each, and, um, yeah, and then away we go. Easy as that, isn't it? Uh, that sounds good to me. Nick, you're, you're, you're there. You're, you're hired. Uh, Nick Bell, well done. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Nick Bell, who um, uh, bought and sold or helped with the purchase and sold the Learjet. Uh, and still very much responsible for him. Another Nick now, Nick Smith, Director of Racing and Communications at Ascot, is back with us. Um, probably a pretty happy man, Nick, I'd say. It was a good week, wasn't it? It was a difficult situation for everybody, uh, but everyone played their part. I mean, I think, you know, big thanks out there to the, to the trainers and the jockeys who who, uh, who really got the, um, the spirit of the thing going. I mean, it was, I think, as Frankie said, when he walked in on Tuesday, he needed three espressos. Well, I think everybody felt a little bit like that, but by the end of the week... Uh, by, by yesterday, when you know he was having his travel and 
you know, the historic doubles for Kevin Scott and, you know, all those stories started to unravel. Um, you know, I think everybody uh, had done a pretty pretty good job to get it to get it to, to get it out there. I guess it's been unusual for you insofar as you're normally so hectic during during Ascot Week, and clearly you were very busy this week. But have you, have you had more time to sort of reflect while it's been going on? I think yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the run-up to the meeting itself, the, the week leading into Royal Ascot this year, was probably more intense than I could ever remember it. We've, you know, I can remember Royal Ascot at York, which was fantastic fun. Uh, I can remember the you know, opening up after the redevelopment and, and the media interest and the, and the, and the sort of the, the cameras all pointing at us for both of those um, uh, renewals. But there was nothing like this, and 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 of course, you know, the, the, the news crews were all over the place in the, in the two or three days before racing, obviously unable to come during race meeting itself. So we were pretty acutely aware of, of, of the responsibility on our shoulders to, to, to run, to, and the BHA shoulders to, 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 to be seen, to be running the meeting safely, professionally. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it all came together pretty well. The week, the week itself, if you're right, there was a, a much more time to reflect on what we'd seen, the actual you know, the performances of the races, you know, thinking about how the, I was always thinking through the week of, you know, how's this race going to work in its new position? Is this going to work out? Is it, has it worked? You know, have we learned anything? Those kind of things. So from that point of view, there was definitely more time to reflect on the, on the hoot. Anything that you thought, oh, that, that worked well, that could be a keeper? Well, I think, you know, to be fair, it all worked well. Um, you know, I mean, and hopefully it should have done because, you know, we went through everything in fine detail with the BHA, exactly how to frame which handicaps should, would fill gaps, you know, how races like Hampton Court, King Edward and the Ribbledale could play their part in the Epsom trials and how, you know, hopefully how big we could, uh, you know, finish the meeting with a climax with the St. James's Palace and Coronation being added to the Diamond Jubilee card. They all worked but they worked because of the unique circumstances that we're now in. I mean, if you try to run that programme in a normal year, you'd cause absolute pattern chaos. So so it's hard to know what we've actually learned, other than that when you have to be flexible with the pattern, you can be. But uh, but in a normal year, it would, be, it would be hard to see many of those fundamental changes actually being workable. And in terms of the overall feeling toward the event while it was being run, were the vibes you were getting as positive as those that we were? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think once racing was used on the 1st of June, everyone was heads down, systems go, this has to happen, we're all behind it. Um, and I think, you know, from what I was hearing through the week, uh, everyone was extremely positive. I haven't had a chance to watch a single minute of the television coverage yet, and that's a job I'm looking at. Oh, yeah, job. It's a pleasure I'm looking forward to next week, because I, I, I hear it was fantastic. Um, and, that, and that everybody did a really good job um, uh, for the audience at home. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think I think this. I think everybody, you know, I think everybody had a sense of great responsibility, you know, this week to to to, to try and make it work as best as it possibly could. Uh, Nick, thank you very much. I just wanted to, to get your very brief thoughts on how you felt the week had gone. Thanks for all your your help and cooperation the last few weeks, and, and congratulations. Thanks, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.